Beginner's call. This is your beginner's call. Will all show beginners please make their way to the studio? Tonight's performance of Overstudies is about to begin. Oh my god, we're back again. It is Overstudies time. The girl band is back. The girl band is back indeed. And if you haven't guessed it already, we're talking about one of our favourite shows of all time this week. We are, but it's also a sad occasion. It is. I am currently wearing black. I am donning my funeral attire because sadly this week we have had to say goodbye to one of the most spectacular shows on the West End and that is Anne Juliet. It is indeed. We are talking about this jukebox musical with a difference, I think is the the way of putting it, which has sadly come to the end of its phenomenal London run. Um, But it is still on in Broadway and in Australia. Yes, I'm very excited to start seeing some snippets from the Australia version because there's some very interesting cast names in there. Um, For Neighbours fans, uh, you'll know already, but uh, yeah, there's someone who's in Neighbours that's in the Australia version. I should point out at this point that Becky is the world's number one Neighbours stan. It's not that deep. You mourned when Neighbours was cancelled. Obviously. It's an institution. (laughs) Anyway, we're not talking about Neighbours. No. We're talking about And Juliet. And as we said, it closed yesterday, if you're listening to this on Sunday when this has been released. And we were sobbing. I'm actually getting quite emotional just thinking about it right now. So if I break down in tears mid-episode, I apologise in advance. Yeah, indeed. We'll be having some of our thoughts on the closing night later on in the podcast, so do stay tuned for those. But for now, though, how can people get in touch if they've got views on Anne Juliet or anything else that we talk about? Yes. So if you are also currently in mourning, you can send us a message. We are on Twitter at Overstudies and you can find us on Instagram at Overstudies blog. Where else can we find us? They can head onto the website, which is www.overstudies.co.uk. You can get on there, find all of our past podcasts, our past radio shows. Um, If we've been good, you can see some of our reviews and news as well. If we've been bad, then you can see some old news and reviews. Yes. You can also send us an email stage at ofstudies.co.uk and we will get back to you. We love hearing from everyone. So yeah, get in touch. Please do indeed. Also make sure that you like, subscribe and share wherever you listen to your podcasts. This does mean that other people can come and join the Overstudies chaos and family. So because we have a lot to say about the show, let's dive straight into it. And do you want to explain to listeners who are not familiar with Anne Juliet? just what it's about. So yeah, it's based on, or it's adapted from, I should say, William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, but in a very meta way. We are opened to the opening night of Romeo and Juliet and an argument between William Shakespeare and his wife, Anne Hathaway. Yes, that's right. She really is called Anne Hathaway. And that is one of my favourite jokes in the show. But we are invited to join the premiere performance. Um, But Anne's not very happy about it, is she? No, things don't really go as planned here. Anne is quite rightly asking, why does Juliet have to die? Romeo, fine, kill him off. Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) But why why should Juliet have to die? And I think, you know, valid. She's like, great job that you've done here on the play and everything, but just gonna just gonna rewrite the ending if that if that's all right. And Shakespeare's like, well, I guess so. Give it a go. And we get to see the live writing, live development is probably the better way to describe it, of 
what can only be described as Romeo and Juliet 2.0? What would happen if Juliet didn't die at the end? What yeah. would what would be her goals? What would be her dreams? Where would she go? And how would she recover from her boyfriend dying? Yeah, it's a very interesting and let's be honest on the face of it, quite ridiculous plot. Um, but actually it's the perfect plot for this show, which is just the campest, queerest joy you will ever experience in a theatre. There is a reason that this show has been nicknamed the Glitter Show. You leave the theatre th- feeling like glitter is running through your veins. You have, there is no feeling like it. The just sheer joy of watching this performance that every single time we've been to see it, I have left with the biggest smile on my face. Yeah, absolutely. This is a show that I think both of us have just fully adored. You've obviously been aware of the show for much longer than I have, which we'll come to, but it's also been a very pivotal show in the development, not just of our friendship, but of the overstudies as well. Yes. I think this is one of the first shows that we went to see together. Yeah. And our love for this show has gone from being, well, I loved it to begin with, but from being like, oh, that's that was really good to being like actually devastated that it's closed. I feel like I've lost a family member. So this is a jukebox musical based around the music of Max Martin, who has written some of the biggest pop songs of the last 30, 40 years at this rate. Yeah. If you think, who's Max Martin? Chances are you will know at least probably about 70 of his songs. Every single pop star. We're talking anyone from Britney to Bon Jovi to Demi Lovato. You know, we've got such a wide mix of artists that have worked with this man. And Anne Juliet takes all of those big hits and puts them into a really nice little package and in the best way possible. Yeah, just to name some of the songs, for instance, that you would expect to hear in this show, we've got Larger Than Life by the Backstreet Boys, Baby One More Time, Britney Spears, Confident Demi Lovato, It's My Life, Bon Jovi. We've got... Some Adam Lambert in there as well. Basically any massive pop song, it'll probably be in this show. And I guess, should we get the little jukebox debate out the way first? Should we just deal with the elephant in the room and then we can move on? Yeah, we'll approach it head on. Um, jukebox musicals are a controversial subject. Very controversial. They're not for everybody. They are a bit like Marmite. You will love or hate them. You might even love or hate individual jukebox musicals. That's fine. There are jukebox musicals that both of us adore. There are jukebox musicals that both of us like, what is the point? But they have a place. Yes. And I think the beauty of Anne Julia is it isn't just a jukebox musical. The songs are the hook in, but when you get in, it has so much depth and so much, so many layers to the narrative, the characters, the comedy, the dancing, the design, everything about this is the perfect package of theatre. The songs are just that hook to get people in. Yeah, this is it, is that this show is has got so much love and joy from the performers from creatives from fans across the spectrum because it is so different to your standard jukebox musicals let's take for instance something like let's say the choir of man which is a load of songs shoved together has got a great message behind it but ultimately is still just a load of songs shoved together even Mamma Mia, to an extent is a very tenuous storyline to link together some abba songs Yet, 
and Juliet is completely different. There is a story, there is a narrative, but it's being done in the most powerful and incredible way. And it's a story and narrative that actually, if it didn't have that hook of those pop songs, probably wouldn't even get told. Yeah, I think because even in 2019, when this show originally premiered, it was pushing some boundaries that I don't think I'd ever really seen on stage as much as I had after seeing this show. I think it's been quite a groundbreaking show in terms of representation and terms of the characters that it's showing on stage and the stories that it's being told. The beauty of Anne Julia is the fact that you could take away all of those songs and still have a solid narrative you could you could put on Anne Juliet without any of those songs. If all of a sudden overnight we cannot use Max Martin's music, we cannot, the license disappears, whatever, the story would still be full and meaningful. And I think that's why it works so well. The songs are just a bonus yeah. to a very, very strong book written by David West Reed, who is the writer of Schitt's Creek. So I just wanted to loop back to something you said about how this show is so groundbreaking in terms of representation, in terms of including characters and all that kind of thing, particularly when kind of looked back through a 2019 vision. The show has continued to develop since it got its previews in Manchester. The way that it includes so many different types of people so seamlessly is something that other shows that have been released since are still struggling to match. We've got cis straight characters we've got queer characters we've got people of color in the show all of whom are just there and existing and being their unapologetic incredible selves and it's just such a powerful way of doing this the show for instance uses with one exception all of their own accents throughout it so you get this like lovely little blend of wherever people are from as well there are characters who or, or types of characters and types of people who would never normally get like a massive kind of leading storyline who get thrust to the front and center of the production. And there are very few shows that do this to this extent and to this level. You know, we've got characters aside from the title characters of Romeo and Juliet. And actually Romeo is not a massive character. Like you barely see Romeo, which is kind of the point of it. But yeah. then we've got Obviously, William Shakespeare, Anne Hathaway. We've got Juliet's friends, who I know will be coming to one of them very specifically. We've got the friends that Juliet meets along the way. We've got Juliet's nurse, which is a really interesting and incredible character. And one I think we, again, we'll be having a, a touching on a little bit later on as well. But all of this put with then an equally fantastic ensemble with some incredible dance routines and, and movement. And it just creates this wonderful, wonderful event, I think. It's just a beautiful blend of all things that theatre should be and what theatre should be striving towards. And I think that's why it makes it so special is that this really is the blueprint for what we should be trying to achieve in theatre. We shouldn't be trying to do anything less than this show. Completely. And that again is where having the hook of those pop songs actually really works. Because if you did this as a straight play, whilst it would work, it certainly wouldn't necessarily get the same commercial drawer. It wouldn't get the same people coming in. There are people who have seen this show and then come out of it and gone, oh, that was, did, wasn't expecting that and completely changing how they view things or how they think about things. I hold my hands up. The first time I saw this show, I wasn't fully sold on it. I was a bit like, is it a bit too cheesy? But I think I went in expecting 
it to be less cheesy. And now I've kind of processed it and sat with it and gone, no, this is exactly what it needs to be. It is one of the, I would go as far as saying greatest shows of all time. I think it's going to go down in the history books as being the start of a new golden age of theatre. And I think if we hadn't have had something like this, you know, we we wouldn't see the rise of, you know, Six being as popular, you know, with a very concerty kind of vibe. I know that they came out around the same time. Six might have been slightly earlier, but it's that kind of energy of just being like having people being themselves on stage. And then we look at something like Legally Blonde, which has done the same kind of taken the same approach and been so open and so unapologetically human. The Legally Blonde revival. Yes. Yes. Um, And I think it's definitely been a tipping point in theatre. And I think it's just such a shame to lose that in the West End when, you know, it's exactly what we need right now. Yeah. And I think without wanting to get into it too much, it is going to be a huge shame with the show that is taking over in the Shaftesbury, which we need less of, not more of. But I'm not going to go into that because this is not the time and the place. But I just want to say, I think actually we're taking a step backwards. Yeah. In some respects. Yeah. From what Anne Juliet is all about. We've covered over the basic plots, the basic premise of the show. You were very fortunate to actually see this show really early in its journey in 2019 at the Manchester Opera House. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I had a friend that went to see the show in Manchester and came back to work the next day and was like, oh my God, this was the best thing that I've ever seen. Um, And she explained the premise to me of being like, it's like Romeo and Juliet, but just with pop songs. And I was like, okay, this, I'm a Shakespeare girly. I love any kind of Shakespeare adaptation. So I was like, yeah, I'll give it a go. Why not? Um, Went to see it and was like, wow, this is, nothing could have done this justice. There is no way to describe the show and truly do it justice, I think, because I went in thinking, oh yeah, it's Shakespeare with some pop songs. And then I was like, oh no, this is so much more than that. And I just fell in love with the show straight away, but didn't get a chance to see it again uh, when it then opened in the West End uh, a few months after it had closed in Manchester. So I was like, oh, you know, not had a chance to really kind of see that pandemic happened. And then I was like, oh, I might not get a chance to see this again. Fast forward a few years, moved down to London and we went to see it. I think it was about a week after it had reopened in the West End. Yeah, it was really, really early. It was for your birthday. It was. And I went in kind of not really knowing what to expect. I'd seen a couple of songs and heard a few things, but as regular listeners will know, I avoid shows I've not seen like The Plague. Like I like to go in as fresh and as blind as possible. Um, You had told me some stuff and I was like, no, shut up. I don't want to know any more of this. As I said, I wasn't sold the first time. And I think looking back as well, some of that could have just been clearly everyone was still warming up and getting back into the rhythm and the swing of the show, which is fair enough. You know, there was some very weird times in 2020. I think as well, like I'm very good at deciding if you're going to like a show and I always take you to things and you're not 100% sold on it at first, but give it like a week or two and you're like, actually, no, you were right. I adore the show. Very different from the shows that we'd been to see previously together. So I was like, this is a different vibe, but it's kind of a good vibe. Were there any changes between seeing it in Manchester and seeing it in London? I... I'm not sure. I'm not best place to comment because I saw it very late in the Manchester run. 
but I do imagine that there have been developments. I know that the character of May, um, who is in fact a non-binary character, they've very much committed to that. Um, and I think that's very important in terms of, you know, casting and representation on stage. I know that that has become solidified within the plot and within the casting choices. But aside from that, I think it's fine tuning. It's working out, you know, what works on stage, what doesn't. I think the the set design is more like what you can do when you have a residency in a theater, when you're not just borrowing the space. But I think it's it's it was already so good. It's just been a case of fine tuning everything. So you mentioned there the character of May. I forgive me if I'm wrong. I am fairly well read on my Shakespeare's. I don't recall a character of May in the original Romeo and Juliet. Yes, that is because May is a character added in by Anne Hathaway um, to be Juliet's best friend. That's nice. We love a best friend duo. And of course, Anne Hathaway couldn't not just write one best friend. She also writes herself in. Of course. As a second best friend as April. So we get April, May and Juliet. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's a terrible joke, but I love it every time. <laughs> it's This show is packed to the brim with terrible jokes, yet they are what makes the show. This show knows that it's cheesy, it knows that it's cringy, and it leans right into it and embraces it. And that is one of the reasons why it is so good. But it also deals with some very tricky and challenging topics at times. Obviously, we have the relationship between Romeo and Juliet. That is a theme throughout. That was always going to be a theme throughout. So we're not going to worry about that. We're going to leave that one to you. We're going to talk about one of the more pressing topics or one of the more topical topics that's covered, which does involve the character of May. Yes. So we also have a character of Francois or Frankie de Bois. Frankie de Bois. Frankie de Bois, um, who is, well, I'm not even sure how to, where to begin to describe Frankie de Bois. Frankie de Bois is, has had a challenging upbringing, let's say, and a very overbearing at times father who wants him to go off to war like the rest of his brother's and to make the family proud. A very traditional upbringing, shall we say. Yeah. Yet, as anybody will know, especially if you're listening to this podcast, life's never that simple. Oh, no, it's not. As much as Frankie's dad wants him to get married and settle down and all the rest of it, Frankie's not that into girls. No, it turns out um, Frankie is just it's just not not that interested, which is something that we actually see Frankie realise throughout the show. I think. I think it's a very nice coming out story. Yeah. It is a beautiful development where you kind of see the whole, and you get some backstory of uh, Frankie has never managed to find the right girl for him and, you know, isn't, is more interested in playing his video games than, than dating. Fair play, to Valid. be fair. Um, but then we see through the development, May and Frankie literally get thrust together and we see a blossoming friendship at first. Yes. That perhaps becomes something a little bit more. Yes. So we do see a little spark of romance uh, very early on, but there is a, there's a problem, isn't there? Well, it wouldn't be a Shakespeare without a twist. Yes. We do love plot twists, um, especially Shakespearean plot twists because they're never simple. So it turns out May likes Frankie. Frankie is engaged to Juliet at this point because she's done it again. 
because it wouldn't be Romeo and Juliet without Juliet rushing into a marriage, would yeah. it now? And then we have to kind of sit back and watch the drama unfold about, you know, will Juliet marry Frankie? Will Frankie and May get together? It's it's very dramatic. It is very dramatic. And there is so much drama. I just don't want any more drama, but we'll come back to that. But one of the really interesting things about May as a character is is this non-binary-ness. And it is just so unapologetic and out there. But we also see May's struggles and tussles with their identity. Yes. This is a very difficult to watch piece of theatre at times. You see some quite not nice things being said, being acted out. It is very uncomfortable. and it. But this is one of the things with this show that it gets so right. Theatre is meant to make you uncomfortable sometimes. Theatre should be a space where we can see things that are not nice, that are, that are wrong with the world and think that's not okay. Juliet does that by being so brutal with how non-binary people can get treated. But then fixes it and develops it and goes actually a lot of the a lot of this a lot of this this feeling is ignorance and it's because people are scared to see something different it's not necessarily because they're bad people it is just the fact that it's different and outside of their comfort zone and i think there's a, a hugely important moral there for a lot of people um to take away but we also then see it from may's point of view of well, actually, am I this non-binary person? Am I a man? Am I a woman? We have a beautiful version of I'm not a girl, not yet a woman, which kind of tells this dilemma and this story. And I just think it's a beautiful and beautifully presented and created pathway to navigate what is actually a very challenging topic, a very controversial topic at the moment, but in the most beautiful of ways. Yeah, I think this could have been done so wrong but it has been done so right. It's a topic that has to be treated with so much love and care. And you can really tell that the writers and the creative team care about telling this story and care about creating a character that is, you know, three-dimensional, has many different facets to them, you know, has flaws, isn't 100% perfect, but also, you know, redeems themselves when they do mess up. You know, a very realistic character has been built. This isn't a queer character for the sake of having a queer character. This is a fully rounded, fully developed character as much as anybody else in there who is existing for their own purpose, their own part of the narrative in the same way that anybody else does. There are still not a lot of shows that do this this well to this extent. And the fact that Juliet has done it flawlessly is a credit to the creators behind the show. And I think one sign of how much care has gone into this character is that in Shakespearean fashion, we have a breaking of the fourth wall and we have Shakespeare address May as a character and say, isn't May a girl's name? And Anne Hathaway comes straight back being like, well, actually, does it really matter? And there's a big speech, which I cannot do justice because it is the most special moment in the show and every single time you hear the biggest cheer and clap from the audience once we went and you were a bit too early <laughs> and I genuinely think you made uh, Oliver Thompson who plays Shakespeare jump 
but it is such a special yeah. moment to actually address it outright and just be like, look, this is what we're going to be talking about. If you've got an issue with it, get over yourself, basically. Yeah, I, I think this is one of, again, the strengths of this show is that it tackles these things so head on, but it isn't afraid to then just call it out completely as well. And this is why this show is going to be so missed and why a the west end needs it but also the west end is going to be so much worse off without it i'm starting to cry um which actually if i may continue on to another quick topic um we're going to go into the moments where charlie cries in this show or it might be easy to do the moment charlie doesn't cry in this show i was gonna say we don't have that much time babe you're gonna have to do a whistle stop talk <laughs> um the one thing i am going to touch on really importantly is going to be the character of the nurse um originated by the incredible melanie labarry who is now playing the nurse over on broadway if anyone wants to give me tickets i would love that two tickets because if i go on my own and I don't take Becky with me. Like that would be that would be the end of the overstudies. There would be a murder, honestly. Like, but the character of the nurse is a again really delicate maternal figure who has had a tricky life. Yeah, I think it's fair to say, but isn't going to let this stop her. But and because of this, knows what she wants, knows what she deserves, and is out there to kick some ass. Yes. And also will not let Juliet get anything less than she deserves as well. Exactly. But one of the reasons I think why this character is so special and so incredible is that there are not many characters in musical theatre who are that maternal figure yet are so important and so strong in the narrative. We do not see the strong, independent, good women over a, like who are older yeah. much. We will have the, the wizened old man in a lot of shows we don't get the wizened old woman mm. i don't mean old in a bad way yeah at all and the fact that juliet does this and does it so again brilliantly and without it being a big deal i think is more representation that we need this is all a show where the men take the back seat ultimately it is a feminist retelling of and juliet but like a good feminism yeah like it is a centering anyone that's not a man yeah. And I think that's what makes it so beautiful is that it is just not afraid to do that. It kind of shouts it from the rooftops. This is one of the first shows that even on like things like cast boards had all of the cast pronouns in the program on the cast board. And there are a lot of people who don't use binary pronouns in the show as it should be for a show like this. Just to quickly finish on the nurse. Um, I will just say, and I'm not allowed to say the name of the song, but it's the one that starts with an F and ends in perfect. Brings me to tears every single time. This is a song about how whatever kind of you've got going on in your life, as long as you give it everything, it's enough. And you are perfect with the naughty word in front of it. I could press the bleep button to be fair. Um, but this brings me to tears every single time. And it gets sooner and sooner when I start crying. Like at first it was when the lyrics started and now it's the moment the first note comes up. I'm just there. I'm just gone. Um, but I think it's just such a powerful moving resolution to the show where we kind of start to see Juliet getting what she wants for herself and, and blazing her own trail and just the timing and the pacing and, and the positioning of this song and the way that it's done there's just something about it for me i absolutely agree i think the funniest memory about Anne julia i have is 
one of the times we went to see it, we were sat next to uh, a mum and her daughter and we came back at the interval with loads of tissues and they were like, oh, is it going to be sad? We were like, just wait. <laughs> we're like, we have come prepared. We are ready. And then all of us on that row were just crying for the most of the kind of end of the show. Yeah, it it is. Take your tissues for the second act is all I'm going to say. Based on the last time I saw it, take your tissues for the end of the first act because I did cry at the big reveal number that I'm not going to spoil. But those who know the show, I cried at that song. I don't know why, but I did. That was a unexpected it, it was. twist. Um, is there anything else that you want to add now about And Juliet? I think we need a quick five minutes on Production Corner because we can't talk about a show that has a revolve and not talk about the revolve. Yes. It's very important to my mental well-being yes. that we discuss this revolve. Not just a revolve, a revolve that lifts up. Oh. It is so good. Like, we are big fans of shows with a revolve. Love it. Love them. Every show needs a revolve. I don't care if it doesn't make sense. You know, every show needs one. The way that the revolve is used in just like the most simple way to, you know, tell the passage of time, but also used as an extra set piece. It's a stage at one point. At one point, it is just a space where people can dance. It is, you know, the representation of a journey from Paris to, no, from Verona to Paris. I always get it mixed up in my head. And it is just seamlessly integrated into the show that I, I'm scared that if the show ever came back, we would, and we lost the revolve, I don't think I could watch it. Bold I've, statement. Very bold statement. Sounds like lame is. Um, no, the revolve is used. It's another one. Like it's very easy to overuse revolve. It's very easy to go, Oh, we've got one. Let's just spin everything round and round and round this. Every time it is used, there is a reason for it. And there is a, it adds to the, the staging and to the narrative of the show and all the rest of it. Like Becky said, you know, we've got the journey. We have the, when we're in like the boy band concert, we get it there. And it is just a fantastic piece of staging but then the whole staging is like that it's another very simple one that actually has by and large a very fixed set with some projections doing a little bit of, of fancy stuff and then just kind of bring on bring off props and there's only very kind of subtle changes even on some of the bigger moments the back half of the stage is the same yes it is we see a lot of just like development through that movement on stage, both from the revolve and just from the choreo in general. The choreo is sick. It is a very dance heavy show. And I, for those who are regular of study listeners, you will know that I am a big fan of a dance heavy show. And the beauty of Anne Juliet is it's not complicated dancing. It's not complicated movement, but the slickness and the perfection that everyone in that ensemble is at is just flawless. It's it's it takes my breath away every time. I think this is it. Having some very contemporary commercial dance moves that are not the most complicated. They're just fast. Actually, it means that people can focus on getting it right and then getting the timing. This show could very easily look very sloppy. There is no slop in sight at all. Everyone is in perfect sync. And you can tell the dancers from the people who dance, if that makes sense. Yeah. But you can do you can always do that. That's that's not a criticism. But we do see 
such a phenomenal, I want to say machine, like everyone works together to yeah. kind of create the scenes. And it's something that other dance heavy shows that overcomplicate some of the moves and then people are that then shows up the people who are really good at dancing and those who are just good at dancing kind of thing. Whereas Juliet, because it keeps it simple, everyone's on the same level playing field. And I think that's great. I have one more final thing uh, from my side and production corner. Costuming. Yes. So for anyone who hasn't seen the show, and Juliet has a very good blend of contemporary costuming with elements of corsets and, you know, like big skirts. And it blends them so well together. Think Hamilton, but with like jeans. Yeah. It's, it's that kind of perfect blend. And I think that without Hamilton, we wouldn't have had and Juliet style costuming because it takes the blend of the traditional and the contemporary like the show does and meshes them together and you have these most the most fantastic costumes I've ever seen in my life everyone in the ensemble looks incredible everyone in the principal cast looks incredible everything just looks so nice and I love that even the swings have their own kind of costumes as well you know, everyone, this is a big production. We don't have swings necessarily stepping into other people's costumes. You know, they have their own style and every character in that ensemble has a personality. I was going to say, even if you're a swing and you're performing, okay, you might be in a different track, but you still have a character. You still have a person who is your swing. And there are, as Becky was saying, this is what I wanted to pick up on as well, other shows where they have big swings the swing who covers four or five roles will wear the car- the the costume of the role that they're covering. Whereas in Anne Juliet, that's their costume and it's them every night. And the only time that people change costumes is if they're covering. Yeah. Um. You know, if one of the covers is stepping up to to cover a principal, obviously they wear the the costume of the principal. And I just think it's another really great decision that really th- fits in with the ethos and the values of the show. To put all the performers on the same playing field and go, you're all incredible. You're all great. Let's give you your own identity. Um, and more of it. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously it's not going to work in every single show, but shows like this and other shows where it can work, let's, let's have more of it, not less. And I think I've, we've seen some examples of an attempt at similar costuming that hasn't worked. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to name any names, but there's a particularly, big open on Broadway that's happened recently that's had some significant costume changes that if you're on TikTok, if you're on a certain side of TikTok, you'll know exactly what show I'm talking about because the West End production had a very different look and feel to the, shall we say, early 2000s Disney Channel vibe that the show has now decided to go (laughs) in. But it's an example of when you get it right, it works so well, but when you get it wrong, it actually just looks really bad. But you can see when shows are trying to emulate the same style of costuming. We've said before about this show that we're not going to name, but you'll be able to work out that if it had come before Anne Juliet, it might have been quite groundbreaking. Yeah. The fact it hasn't, it just looks dated from day one. Yeah. Narratively, costumely, setly, the whole thing. Um, but we'll, we'll move on from that. Yes. Um, so that's everything I kind of wanted to discuss about the show and its production itself. What I do want to just do now 
is have a quick run through some of our highlights of when we've seen the show up until the closing night. So not including the, 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 the closing night, but some of the other times that we've seen it where things have really stood out and gone, wow. And I'm going to start by saying cast change, March 2022. If we had not have stopped clapping, we would still be in that theatre. I think we should have done the same thing last night. I personally would rather still be in the Shaftesbury preventing this show from closing than be recording this right now. But we can't win them all. I agree. Cast change was number one of my memories. It was the energy in that room was incredible. It was right from the start. Everyone was so excited. The atmosphere was absolutely electric. Like I've been in some fantastic, spectacular audiences over the years. That is top three, maybe, because everybody was just so excited to be there, yet so sad. And I think that's the thing as well, is it was through times like that that you learn how special and how important this show is. We were with your friend Charlotte, shout out Charlotte, who hadn't seen the show before and of all the nights to see it for the first time. Wow. Yeah. And she had a great time and we had a great time. Everyone was having a great time. And it really, this show means a lot to so many people. And I think it really stood out that night when we saw, you know, the sheer amount of love for the original cast. I was going to say, this is the original cast. So we had Jordan Luke Gage playing Romeo, Miriam Teak Lee as Juliet. We had Oliver Thompson as Shakespeare, Alex Thomas Smith as May, Tim Mahendran as Francois or Frankie Duboy. It was just the whole cast was incredible. Um, who else was there that we've missed? We should obviously we, Melanie LeBarry. Melanie LeBarry, yeah. Cassidy uh, Jansen. Cassidy Jansen. Uh, we have David Badella as Lance yes. as well. You know, just some incredible, incredible people, some of whom then stayed with the show and carried on, some of whom left for for new and other exciting but less good things. <laughs> That's, wow, <laughs> that's that's a joke for for all uh, the Bonnie and Clyde fans are going to come for you. Bring it. Um, <laughs> I mean, Melanie has gone and taken Nurse to Toronto and yes. Broadway, and is still killing it. So, yes, you know. absolutely. Um, other highlights for me, uh, I think, is going to be my birthday this year, where we got an unexpected cover show. Yes, where we didn't ex- we wanted to go and see something, didn't know what. And then we're like, oh, let's just go to Anne Juliet. Let's stick to what we know. And it's, it wasn't until it's we... a birthday tradition that we go see Anne Juliet at this point. Yeah. And like normally we will kind of nowadays generally only go to Anne Juliet if there's people we want to see on. But for this one, we booked the tickets and then saw that the covers on. Um, I was over the moon because I got to see Colette Guitar, who regular listeners know is one of my favorite performers. She is incredible. She was on for Anne Hathaway. I was so happy. We'd seen her before, but I was never going to complain another Colette show. Yes. Who else did we have on? It was the first time that we had seen uh, some of the new cast, actually. It was, yes. So it was the first time that we saw Billy Luke Nevers taking over the role of Frankie permanently. Yes. Who else did we have on? Um, Joe Foster was May. Yes. So that was very exciting to see them in the role. Fantastic. We also had... Carl Mann as Romeo. Yes. Also very exciting to see that. Very, I, it was the second time I saw Carl and has definitely grown into the role. The first time I saw Carl, I was not a hundred percent sold coming off of Jordan Luke Gage, to be fair, but Carl actually has really come into the role. Very different 
telling of Romeo, but yeah. works so well, like has put his own stamp on it completely. Did we have anyone else on as a remember. cover? This The cast is so big. It all blends into one as well. This yeah. is the thing. Um, I was also, you know, previous times that stick out. I got to see Zara McIntosh as Juliet cover really early on the run. We both got to see the phenomenal Grace Mower as Juliet as well. Yes. It's a show where you do want to keep coming back again and again and again just to catch them all. Yeah, because everyone has such a different spin on everything. I think it's just so much fun to see those differences in those characters. And like I said, I keep saying this, every time you leave, you just have such the biggest smile on your face. So why wouldn't you want to keep going back? Indeed. And unfortunately, the reason why you can't keep going back is because it closed last night. Yes. But if you do happen to be in New York, uh, you can go and see the production on Broadway, which is officially, I don't think we have a closing date. I think we're just rolling over on the booking at the moment. So that is open on Broadway at the Stephen Sondheim Theatre, which is very nice. And also we have a Australian production, which is open in Melbourne, which yeah. is exciting. Uh, very recently opened. And I've not kind of dived into what people have been saying over there, but from what I've, I'm expecting, everyone's going to love it over there. So hopefully, hopefully we're going to get a tour announcement soon. Fingers crossed, because we've, we know that a tour is in the works. We just don't know when. That's all we've got time for today, though. If you have any thoughts on Anne Juliet, please let us know. You can do that by getting in touch on our social media. You can email us stage at overstudies.co.uk you can tweet us at overstudies <laughs> you can instagram us at overstudies blog or you can go onto our website and use the contact form which you will find at www.overstudies.co.uk indeed please also do like subscribe and share wherever you'll get your podcast it does help other people to find and join the overstudies chaos yes and if you have any thoughts feelings vibes anything you want us to talk about just uh, let us know. Yes. Share uh, it with your friends. Share your thoughts with your friends. Share, you, share it with the people you don't like as well. Yeah. Why not? Let's spread the love a little bit. Yeah. For now, though, that is all we've got time for. So from me, Charlie. And me, Becky. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.